Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined as always by Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, I'm not quite sure where to start here on a Monday after that game, Sunday afternoon at Lambeau Field. Yeah. But I will start by saying you have permission to call me a liar because I said all last week only one team in the <laughs> NFC North would be 2-0 and at the end of week two, and I lied. Because you did. nobody's 2-0. and no. The Packers and the Vikings won 0-1 after a 29-29 tie, and uh, boy, I... I don't know. That that was that was some game. It was some game. Uh, and here's the tragedy in this, Mike. Uh, this was a really good football game. Yeah, it was. Uh, especially through the first three quarters. I know for Packer fans, that's easy to say, but just in terms of the overall mechanics of a football game, I thought it was just it was two bulls clashing horns. Yep. Uh, Aaron Rodgers playing through the knee. Everyone's taking pictures of the brace before the game. <laughs> uh, the way the Packers' offensive line blocked, particularly in the, the you know the first three quarters of that. You have the Vikings, Kirk Cousins having a hard time getting going early. Their defense is doing some good things, but yet the Packers are kind of getting yards against the run with them. There are just so many elements to it, and what hurts is. It was in officiating. You know, I don't want to call it a blunder. You take it for what it is. Everyone has their own opinion. But this is, Mike, where you said you're a liar. I have to admit I was wrong. And uh, at this time, I haven't uh, started working on Insider Inbox yet for Tuesday, but I'm going to have to put in there I was wrong. Because I said during the preseason, the rules emphasis emphases are going to work their way out. The referees hopefully will use common sense. And we'll get past this. Yep. And it's not working out that way. No, it's not. It's not. And unfortunately, you know, the game, it always has a way of happening like this, that you complicate the rules, you make things difficult on the officials, and certain calls are going to happen at the crucial moments yeah. with the game on the line. The Packers think they have the game won when Jair Alexander makes a heck of a play on the ball. Let's not forget about that. That was a Willie Mays over-the-shoulder catch you Somebody know, on put a, deep, him in the on a slot. deep fly to center field. Yeah, For I mean, real. I mean, I don't know how he made that catch. Yeah, and that's that one was, of the things that it just it doesn't – Yeah, it's not a storyline now. So the Packers think they have the game won, but the flag is out on Clay Matthews. And we find out after the game, Tony Corrente, the referee, spoke with ESPN's Rob Domofsky for a pool report, which for those who don't understand, that's where one reporter gets to talk to an official – and then his interview is dispersed to all the media so that it's not a press conference with all sorts of reporters, per right. se, with a referee. But uh, he does answer some questions, and then his explanations um, get distributed. So from the pool report, the ruling, according to Corrente, was that Matthews lifted and planted Kirk Cousins into the ground, essentially. Now, there because before that, there was all sorts of speculation. Was it the body weight rule? Did he actually think the hit was too late? Or, you know, because it was to the midsection, it didn't seem like it was late. So now, after you get the ruling, then you go back and look at it. And this is the simplest way I can put it. It looks to me like Cousins comes off the ground because of the momentum of his throw. Right. Like trying to launch that deep ball is when his feet come off the ground. That happens to be when Matthews hits him. So Carrenti sees it as Matthews lifting and throwing him to the ground, which really is not what happened. So I'm simply going to say what I said in Insider Inbox this morning and in answering all these questions from the fans. 
if the NFL is going to make the rules this complicated and they're going to protect players and especially protect quarterbacks, then they also need to protect the results of the games and let these controversial calls be looked at on replay. I don't see how the league has any other choice to eventually, at some point, I don't know when, but to allow plays like that to be reviewed. Because one look at the replay and it's like, hey, Clay Matthews didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. That play should have stood as called. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I understand there is a time element to it. I understand that they always want to pick up the speed of play. They want to keep people interested. Yep. But at the end of the day, this is about winning and losing. Uh, coaches, players. It's about having a league that people believe the results are right. just and right. that the results are fair and they're not just arbitrary. Right. But, I mean, like, this is this is a big thing, Mike. Uh, and they're at a crossroads in this, in my opinion. Because now you're, you're looking at, I mean, again, for, for Mike McCarthy, he's in his 13th year here. He's been through all the highs and lows of this thing. Yep. There are there are teams out there that aren't that well established. There's teams that you know coaches are trying to cement their system and trying to cement their foundation, working with these players for the first time. And I I don't know what they tell him on Monday morning during the film review. The, the yeah. only question to Mike McCarthy's credit, he was he didn't want to make his post game news conference about the comments. He did say though when I believe it was Dave Schrader asked him from WBAY, is there any other way to coach it? And he said I don't believe so. So, um, the, and the two other elements I want to touch on, other than the instant replay, because I think you're right, if this is the, what route they're going to go, there's ramifications of that, and this should be one of the responses to it. Yeah. I, I, I now fully, I'm on board with that. But I thought, and I, I tweeted this after the game, Kenny Clark, in the story that I wrote for our website, had such a great articulated point. He did. That wasn't emotional, but he just said, listen, we're coached to move your head to the side so you're not hitting them in the helmet. Proceed through the player's body with your feet and take them down. Wrap it, up with the arms. Wrap up with the arms, and mm -hmm. whatever happens, that's what happens. But the game is moving so fast now that it's tough for referees to process that. And as Clark said, he's like, do we have to demonstrably twist our body in the sack now? And I think you actually saw Sheldon Richardson do that. Yeah. But he was outside the pocket with Aaron Rodgers. When you're in the heat of battle, you're then putting the defensive player at a position where they're compromised. Mike Daniels talked about this too, the play where it appears like he, he lets up at the end of it with Mike Reamers is blocking him. Yeah. He said one of the reasons why he didn't follow through is one, you're not sure if Cousins is going to get the ball out, and two, if he proceeds through the tack, you have a 310-pound guard that's going to fall on top of you. Well, what's the ref going to do? Right. It's a difficult position for them to be in. Yeah, and, th and again, this is where, and I go back to what I've said about a lot of these calls over the last several years, even going back to last season. I think what the league is asking the officials to do on the field is unfair. These guys, yeah. these guys are big. They are fast. They are strong. Things happen at full speed. And for these games to hinge on calls that are very, very difficult to make at live right. speed, that I think for to to avoid these types of controversies and you're not going to completely avoid them I shouldn't say avoid but to reduce I think you can greatly reduce the number of controversies if you allow more things to be reviewed now nobody wants 4 hour games nobody wants everything to be stopped by replay but at some point if player safety and all of this and protecting quarterbacks and everything is going to be paramount and I don't disagree with that then there has to be a trade-off. And right. the trade-off can't be, well, you just have to live with these controversial calls. Yeah. I, I as, a, as a fan of the game, I'm not talking about this as sitting here wearing my Packers shirt. As a fan of the game, I don't accept that as right. a trade-off. The trade-off needs to be the results need to be just and fair. And baseball, 
baseball postseason games are getting very difficult to watch. Right. But as I, as I also said in the Insider Inbox this morning, there won't be any more Don Denkinger moments that decide a World Series championship right. because baseball has decided replay is important enough that you can't have everybody talking about what should have been. The calls need to be right as often as possible. And I think the NFL is eventually going to have to decide that that's what they need to do. Yeah, and, and then just you know, kind of sum up that point too, Mike. Uh, as we proceed now going forward, I mean, I don't know how they're going to go about this, handling this, you know, day after day, game after game. A lot of questions they're going to have to answer. But I'll say this, Mike, the NFL officials office in New York is as well positioned to handle something like that as they've ever been. Mm -hmm. We've seen more stuff go to the centralized replay system. There's a possibility there for them to be able to absorb that. The question's going to be, What's the trade-off? Yeah, and as I'm looking at my colleague here, I'm realizing a Don Dinkinger reference from the 1985 Cardinals-Royals World Series is before you were even born. Right over my head. So, okay. Anyway, I know that one that happened, about... though, with the kid grabbing the ball, I think, at Yankee Stadium. Was it or was it That was Jeffrey Orioles? Mayer. That was yep. Yankees-Orioles. Yeah, that was Richie Garcia down I got the right that field one. line. Yeah, that was, yeah. No, Don Dinkinger was before you were born, but you can Google it. 80... Sure, he was a great guy. 1985 World Series, call at first base, changed everything. Anyway... <laughs> At Homer here in the stands west, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, controversy aside, I think what really stings about this game for the Packers is, is as well as they played for such a large portion of the game, and having numerous opportunities to put the game away, and it didn't happen. Aaron Rodgers, I thought, played a tremendous game on his bad left knee, was definitely more mobile than he was in the second half against Chicago the previous week. That was a good sign. Um, he really, The Packers really moved the ball pretty darn well overall against one of the league's best defenses, what was the league's best defense a year ago. And uh, But it was just an inability to finish in the red zone, kicking too many field goals, you have an opportunity to win the game at the end of regulation. Mason Crosby makes the first one, but the timeout was called before the snap, and then he misses the second one. Um, the Vikings obviously blow two field goals in overtime. We know all about that as well. Um, just a tough one to swallow because uh, it would be nice if we were talking about the Packers finding a way to put this game away right. and not worrying about what happened with Clay Matthews. The end result really didn't fit. Uh, what the overall storyline was, the narrative of that football game, I think that's the tough part because one of the things I wrote on the Insider Inbox uh, on Saturday was that regardless of whether or not Rodgers played, and as it turns out, Mike McCarthy said he ended up taking most of the practice reps on Saturday. He was out there. But regardless, everybody needed to elevate their game. I thought the offensive line, especially early on, played really well, giving him a manageable pocket. You saw Geronimo Allison. He had six catches for 64 yards, and he blocked that punt. I, I mean, watching that play, Mike, he put his hand out there. He put his body out there. He was, was doing a tremendous everything play. Tremendous to extend. Play. Yep. And Josh Jackson ends up grabbing the touchdown, gives him a huge jolt of energy early on. Jimmy Graham had an exceptional game. Six catches for, I believe it was 85 yards. Maybe you can make the argument it should have even Nin been a... 95, 95 I think. 95, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Maybe make the argument it should have been even more. That play gets called back due to probably a pretty questionable holding call as well. 
And then he goes and makes that big catch near the sideline that actually set it up for Mason Crosby to try the game winner. Yeah. Crosby, he mentioned that was going down to his best game in the regular season, and the narrative changes. Yeah, he's five, he's five for five, which ties his career high yeah. for made field goals in a game. Goes out there for the 52-yarder, and you know after what I thought was very similar to the Rodgers to Jared Cook play in Dallas in the playoffs, you know where where the, the time is running out, you just don't think the Packers have enough time to get in field goal range. Rodgers makes a connection with the tight end along the sideline, big gainer. Then you're in position, and uh, Crosby's having the, having the game of his life. And as I said, he makes the first one, but it doesn't count. He plays the exact same line with the wind blowing to the right, and on the second one, the wind just didn't blow it back in like it had with all his right. other kicks during the day, and uh, um, and so the game goes to overtime and just just unfortunate because it would have been it would have been really something to see the Packers pull that out. And as you and I were talking about beforehand, Danny Carlson going out there, Daniel Carlson, excuse me, uh, he was having trouble with that same end zone ball pushing right, three missed field goals, kicking to that particular side yep. of the stadium. Tough position for both sides, and and I mean both of these teams afterwards, and I wrote about it, a lot of mixed emotions because it's a big game. I mean, it's NFC North. It's one of the, as I mentioned before, two of the top teams, I think, in this conference, yep. and for it to end this way, there is that feeling of just sort of an unresolved outcome, and yeah. that's sometimes tough to process. Yeah, it's unresolved, and the, uh, the rematch in Minneapolis is more than two months away. Yeah. You're talking about the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend before these teams are going to uh, meet again. But it's interesting, and I don't want to get all back into the Matthews controversy because I think I think we've discussed that plenty. But it's interesting to me how the the perception of everything that went on in this game changes with that one call. Because yeah. if you look at Kirk Cousins, and I take nothing away from you know the way Kirk Cousins performed in this game and that fourth quarter rally and everything, but if the flag isn't out on Matthews and the interception with Alexander stands and that basically ends the game. Kirk Cousins ends up with about 280 yards passing because right. he had about 140 yards after the interception was nullified, has three touchdowns, two interceptions. His passer rating is certainly under 100 with the second interception. And all the headlines in Minnesota, are they're wondering, well, did we really get our money's worth with Kirk Cousins? He throws yeah. two interceptions late in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. Instead, what are the headlines in Minnesota? This is why the Vikings signed Kirk right. Cousins because – he ends up with 425 yards, four touchdowns, 22 points in the fourth quarter to pull a game into overtime that the Vikings seemingly were out of and um, give the Vikings defense credit. They stopped a lot of those opportunities where the Packers did have a chance to put it away, especially after Clinton Dix's deflected interception. The ball's at the 13-yard line. I said to you right when it happened, because of the clock and Minnesota's timeouts, I was like, this game's not over. The Packers either need a touchdown or a first down. They could add a first down at the three-yard line. They need a touchdown or a first down to be able to put this game away. A field goal will not do it and will give the Vikings another chance. And then that's exa exactly what happened. The Vikings got one more chance. And and uh, it's just it's interesting to me just how the na how the narratives completely flip because we'd be talking about the Packers being two and zero they just got a leg up on the Vikings yeah. and you know everything else and but that's <laughs> that's the way of this league sometimes you just have to shrug your shoulders and smile and laugh a little bit because it's two games in there's fourteen more of these to go and a lot is going to happen between now and the new year right and and one of the other things I think would have been a big storyline probably would have been a sidebar at least the notes lead to my my coverage was the fact that that sub-base defense the Packers turned to actually worked out pretty well early on. I think there was a little bit of attrition there towards the end. They lose Kevin King. That's a big one, uh, him exiting that game with the groin injury. I think you've seen with him 
just Packers, be- Packers missed him in the fourth quarter. There's and, no question and about literally it. right before he goes out, Mike, he makes a picture-perfect coverage. I believe it was on Stephon Diggs along the sideline. Yes. He's with him step-for-step step on third down with no help over the top. Right. Just showing you the kind of athlete he is. And the other side of that is with Devon House going in, they didn't really have another backup defensive back after that uh they they moved over to their sub nickel package so they started with Corey Toomer as the other inside linebacker they shift over to Jermaine Whitehead with Josh Jones um Deontay Burton and Raven Green all down that was the Packers defense when they went seven DBs or six DBs they were pretty much up against they were maxed it. out yeah so uh, it's just it is it's tough how things change because I thought we saw exactly what I was thinking we might see with Mike Pettin in that we saw so many DBs early on, and then they shifted. A lot of base, a lot of sub-base, where you have Muhammad Wilkerson playing a five-technique defensive end without an outside backer on his shoulder. They made the right adjustments to, to compensate for Delvin Cook, who only had 38 uh, rushing yards. Yeah. It's just that at the end of the day, I, I think with the weather conditions and everything else that happened, and obviously trying to fight back from the – the, the callback interception, um, those are a lot of plays, and it was pretty hot for a September day at Green, in, in Green Bay. I, I think the guys, when you look at that defense, played exceptional, I mean, in terms of giving it their yep. full effort the whole way, but, I mean, it's that's, they basically played five quarters. Yeah, that defense was clearly out of gas at the end of the game. I thought Minnesota's defense was was just as out of gas yeah. in, in that respect. And, you know, when I, I laid out all of the missed opportunities for the Packers in my editorial after the game, whether you want to look at the overtime possession, second and one from the 37-yard line. Rodgers thinks he's got a great call with the read, kind of the read option keep, but Jamal Williams is kind of trying to grab the ball, doesn't know Rodgers wants to pull it back. It causes a fumble. Rodgers recovers it, fortunately, but you lose three yards, so you go from second and one to third and four. Now you're kind of out of field goal range. You need to get something back to give Mason Crosby another shot. You end up taking a sack on third down, and you have to punt, which then leads to the Vikings getting their one last shot at the field goal, which then was missed. But the missed opportunities also started in the third quarter with the Packers up 17-7. to They think they have the touchdown to Jimmy Graham to put them up three scores, which really was going to put the pressure on Minnesota. You make this a three-score deficit for them. But the holding call on Lane Taylor calls that back, and then the Packers end up kicking a field goal. So instead of 24 to 7, 17 points, it's 20 to 7, 13 points, just two touchdowns. The Packers never got that three score lead. And, uh, and then in the fourth quarter, never got it back to that two-score right. advantage because they kept kicking field goals while the Vikings were scoring touchdowns. Just a lot of, uh, a lot of missed opportunities. And I asked Aaron Rodgers in his post-game press conference, okay, all of those field goal drives, you know, was there any one of those where you walked off the field and just said, man, that really, really should have been a touchdown? And he just said every single one of them. Yeah. You know, he just he, he felt like he felt like the Packers kind of gave this one away because they couldn't finish drives. And as I said, Minnesota's defense, you know, they are who they are and they have the rankings they have for a reason. But the Packers had their chances. The, the positive thing. And again, trying to pull a silver lining from this was the Packers locker room afterwards. As much as guys were disappointed about the outcome, I didn't really see anybody that was demoralized. I mean, Jair Alexander was kind of almost laughing off the fact that he got his interception called back. I mean, just the amount of confidence that he has that, yeah, I'll get another one. It's not a big deal. Uh, He said he's been there before, and and that's what happens on defense. You know the game. And Tremont Williams, as he always does, I think summed it up best, better than anybody in saying that Packers are going to have games like this down the stretch. If if they're going to go where they think this team can go this year, they're going to have 
tightly contested yep. matchups with really high-level opponents, and he believes how things ended last week with the comeback against the Bears and then how this game went down to the wire where there really was no – you had no room for let-up you know, for 70 minutes, yeah. he thinks that's something in the long run is going to benefit them. Yeah, well, we mentioned the great play on the ball that Alexander made. The other the other play that somewhat gets forgotten that you know is a good sign for the Packers going forward is the touchdown to Graham that was called back yeah. on, the, on the Taylor holding. That was an absolutely perfectly timed back shoulder, almost indefensible play from the other side of the ball, and uh, that's one of those, we haven't seen the last of that. No, and I asked Geronimo Allison about that in the locker room afterwards, and he said, I mean, Jimmy Graham has been so consistent throughout his career. He's coming along. You're seeing him be able to really get himself immersed in this offense, and there's going to be games where, you, you know, you're going to be, it's going to be one guy, it's going to be his big game, but the Packers can see, they've seen it in practice, and they're seeing it in games. I mean, Jimmy Graham is going to be a big part of this offense. I think the wider-viewing public got a taste of that uh, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, well, I know we normally spend a portion of our Monday show talking about the way things look around the league. Let's save that for Tuesday's show. That. We have the Bears and the Seahawks playing Monday yeah. Night Football, a matchup in the NFC, so we'll uh, we'll carry that over. But the one thing I will say is, as frustrated as Packers fans are about the 1-0-1 and not being 2-0, there are only two 2-0 teams in the NFC after two weeks. The Los Angeles Rams, not a surprise at 2-0. Yeah. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a huge surprise at 2-0. But everybody else in the NFC, nobody else in the NFC, I should say, has two victories after two weeks. So the Packers have that going for And I'm going to get you Ryan Fitzpatrick's outfit uh, <laughs> as a Christmas gift. I want to see you bring that to a post-game news I said I was, I was a year early on the Buccaneers. I was all <laughs> bullish on them in 2017. I forgot about them for 2018, and now here they're lighting it up. There but you go. Anyway, with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.